You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lal, and I'm joined by Vaughn Ajumian. Vaughn, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. So Vaughn is the principal liaison with brokers and financial analysts covering the investment opportunities in the cannabis space. He's part of an organization called MedMen, Inc., not to be confused, of course, with Mad Men. Uh, he's a capital markets expert. I've known Vaughn for uh, for a while now, and he's been considered to be one of the best analysts uh, in the space. And now he's gone over to the other side to work for a cannabis company uh, to help them out with uh, analyst relations as well. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. It's been a very interesting month and a half. Uh, really happy to have uh, to made the change. So let's start with the topic that we that we always want to as it relates to uh cannabis and that's legalization. So it's it's now uh supposed to come into effect October seventeenth of this year. Uh is that in your mind like a hundred percent uh going to happen in October or is there still a possibility that it gets deferred out? It seems pretty clear that that's the actual the definitive start date. Um, you know, there, there's been some speculation as to when it would actually be, and they, we, we thought in June um, the uh, the bill, Bill C-45, got uh, through both the House and the Senate after a little bit of back and forth and got royal assent. Um, they, they, I understand all the regulations are out now, and the government has said uh, specifically it'll be October 17. I guess the provinces need a couple of uh, couple of months there to get things up and running, it actually physically move the cannabis to the stores, get all the uh, – all the training uh, and staff and everything ready. So uh, October 17, um, my prediction is people will be uh, will be lining up outside the stores. So how's the um, how's the policing going to work, Vaughn? Because I know that a, a little while ago that was one of the one of the challenges that you know was potentially going to delay legalization. Do you have any views on how the policing is going to take place? Well, so again, I know there's been some kind of directives from the government, some extra funding that they put in uh, to make sure that the rollout is as smooth as possible, especially from a policing perspective. Um, I know that they've been uh, work, working on setting regulations on, on impaired driving, on how much uh, THC you can have in your bloodstream and how to test for it properly. Um, so I don't know if everything will be necessarily 100% perfect on day one, but uh you know the government is you know is committed to you know making the overall program start and then you know obviously continuing to improve it right whether that's how many stores we have on day one or you know the, whether every last T has been crossed and I dotted from a you know policing or um, hardware breathalyzer perspective. So staying on the topic of legalization, I think a lot of people actually don't know uh, that uh, the legalization of edibles is not going to kick in at the same time. Uh, as uh, general cannabis in terms of uh, the October 17th timeline. I think it's still slated for next summer of 2019. Has that changed at all? No, to the best of my knowledge, that's still the case. It'll be on day one, it would be just uh, dried bud and uh, flour and oil. Um, and then about a year later, we'll have the edibles, the vapes, the concentrates, which, um, so we, we have about uh, 13 stores open right now in three states in the U.S. And there, for example, in California, we have over a thousand SKUs of everything from not just edibles to, you know, topicals, creams, bath, bath bombs, pet uh, cannabis treats. Um, so, you know, again, the market is starting in Canada. It starts kind of slower and more limited and regulated, and it'll expand over time. So let's fast forward to October 17th of this year, and let's look at maybe November, November and December 
2018. Do you think that there's enough, there is going to be enough supply to meet the demand? I don't think so. I think in the beginning we'll probably will have a shortage. Um, that's definitely been the case uh, whenever other jurisdictions have gone from uh, recre- medical to recreational. We've seen the lineups a year ago, last July in Nevada. We've seen a similar situation in California. Um, so I think you know it'll take a while for demand and supply to catch up with each other, and then eventually we could have too much supply in Canada. Um, just based on the number of licenses that Health Canada keeps uh, keeps issuing. But uh, you know we're really excited for for you know the start of recreational sales and. Uh, you know, consumers will finally be able to go and and, and buy legally, and uh, we'll see, see we'll see what that uh, looks like. And what are you? Have you set a target as to what you expect the average price per gram to be towards the end of this year? It's it's tough to say. I think in in Canada, um, you know, we, we you know, there have been some headline numbers uh, you know being thrown around there or targets. So what what I think you'll you'll find is. Uh, you know, marijuana is a you know consumer good, right? It's you know as much as in Canada, there's a lot of talk about um, or a lot of influence of commodities in, in the uh, in the economy. If you look at those states like California, like Nevada, again, there's a whole spectrum of cannabis. It's not just one price and that's the price, right? You can buy, you know, just like when you walk into a liquor store, you can buy, you know, low-end vodka or low-end wine, or you can buy very expensive vodka or wine. So I think as consumers get more accustomed to what buying recreationally is like, what their tastes are, what you know, quality is is perceived to be and, and worth more. Um, it'll be just like any other industry where you have a whole wide spectrum. Uh, and you know, we, I think we, you know, with our 13 stores, um, and it should be 20 by the end of the year. We got a pretty good finger on the pulse as to what uh, what consumers like. So I think that there, the stat, the, the number that I saw was uh, that Ontario expected to have 60 regulated retail stores in the first year. So, well, I think they're going to start at 40 and then. End the, end the year at 80, and then a year after that, it would be 150 plus online sales from what I've seen. And how? But again, I think in Ontario, everything is probably in flux now, and then that we've had a change of government. Um, so the, under the previous Liberal uh, administration, there was going to be only um, you know LCBO or Crown Corporation. Um, now, you know, Doug Ford has uh, repeatedly mentioned um, he doesn't really want the government to have a monopoly on any, anything, and since we're kind of still starting from scratch. Um, there's definitely an opportunity for private retail or maybe a hybrid system where you have the government-owned stores and then you have private retail. Um, you know, should that actually happen, you know, we definitely would like to open stores in uh, you know, parts of the province that fit our overall branding. So you know, a nice part of town, a high traffic area with lots of foot traffic, lots of tourists. Uh, so I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see how Ontario actually shakes out in particular given the change in government. And when you get outside of Ontario and you look at provinces like Alberta, I think they're planning to have over like close to 250 privatized outlets. Is that right? Exactly. That's the 250 is the number I've seen in in Alberta, uh, and then in BC again they're going to have a hybrid system: government approved or government owned stores, and then um, private sector stores. So we in, uh, for MedMen we do have a joint venture with Chronos, uh, one of the licensed producers here where we have access to their cultivation facility. We'll be co-branding some products, and we'll be looking to open stores in provinces that do allow private sector retail like Alberta, like BC, potentially Ontario down the road. So staying on post-legalization, we're obviously in completely uncharted territory as it relates to Canada and obviously one of the first developed countries in the world to go full legalization uh, from a rec uh, perspective. What do you think are going to be some of the biggest challenges 
that companies are going to face, that specifically cannabis companies are going to face post-legalization? Sure. I think, I think in the short term, uh, we probably will have that shortage initially as demand and supply sort of catches up to each other. Um, so the biggest challenges are going to be, you know, getting enough quality brands on the shelf and then being able to replenish them uh, you know, quickly as they sell out. I think longer term, the challenge in Canada is going to be able to, you know, really effectively brand your product so that it kind of stands out given these strict packaging requirements mm-hmm. um, and the adver- limits on advertising and branding. Whereas in the U.S., you're much more able to advertise and create a brand. Um, so we already have the, you know, the, the most well-known brand of stores. Um, so now that retail is going to be allowed in Canada, again, one of the limiting factors is going to be location, 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 right? That's really a choke point in the industry where uh, both in Canada and the U.S., people generally want legalization to the majority. They want access to cannabis, but people generally don't want it next door to their house or next door to their you know, child's school. So, you know, what are the rules going to be and who's going to lock up the key locations? Um, that's, uh, you know, that's something that's definitely a priority for us. Um, we've already done uh, you know, lock up the key locations in areas like Nevada and California, uh, doing the same now in, in Florida and in Canada. So, so, sorry to zigzag, but go back to let's go back to the policing side again. Um, I haven't followed, but are, have they now? Uh, do we now have the technology or the hardware to detect um, impairment when driving as it relates to cannabis? Now, I know they were working on it, but I'm not sure exactly if they've approved a specific hardware. Um, yeah. I, I've, it's, it's one thing that I've heard, you know, various things from various uh, from various sources, but that's not, well, that's one angle I'm not uh, kind of 100% certain on. Okay, so let's now step outside Canada and let's look at the bigger picture, the global uh, picture. Let's talk about the, the global market and the the demand uh, that you see for uh, for cannabis, and then maybe we can also you can also touch on what Canada's role, Canadian companies' roles are going to be related to that global demand. Sure. So for the global opportunity, I think there's sort of two different markets, um, you know, or two different aspects to the, to the global environment. One is, you know, more and more countries adopting medical programs where, where Canadian firms can go and either cultivate themselves for that country or, you know, grow domestically and then export it, right? So we're seeing more and more of these countries take steps. You, you tend to go medical first and then eventually sometimes recreational. Um, and uh, so I, I think it's an opportunity here for Canadian firms to, you know, export their expertise, if not their product, um, wh- whether they do it directly through exports or they go on the ground uh, and they set up a company perhaps with a local partner and they do actual cultivation there. Then there's a second part, which is um, – for internationally, the uh, the cultivation. So we're seeing co- companies go out to you know, Colombia, Jamaica, um, you know, Uruguay, where they're looking to cultivate cannabis at a much lower cost um, and, and try to export it uh, to either Canada or other countries that will permit imports uh, medically. Um, so I think, you know, I think both of these markets are very interesting markets, but I think for in both cases, whether you're talking about the domestic medical market or you're talking about uh, just cheap cultivation and export, um, they're still quite embryonic. Um, so from our point of view, uh, we're focusing on the markets that are really in the here and now, right? So we want to establish a brand in areas like California, New York, Nevada, Canada. These are markets that are real happening currently. And then, you know, the global opportunity is massive um, as more and more countries will go online. Cannabis will be uh, as accepted as alcohol or other uh, intoxicants, but, and that, a lot of that is still uh, on the come. 
Okay. Neither of us have a crystal ball, but what are what what are some of the developed countries you think in the next five years will actually legalize from a rec perspective? From a rec perspective, uh, you know, it it could be in uh, in Europe. I mean, we we are seeing you know countries like Germany, um, you know, getting pretty involved in medical and things tend to go from medical to recreational once society sees medical in action. Um, sees that you know society isn't collapsing, the uh, the sky isn't falling. Um, so I think you could see some countries in in Europe and also in Mexico. There was just a an election there uh, where uh, the the new the new party taking over. Um, you know, a lot of ministers there have said very positive things regarding uh, potential legalization in Mexico. And then I think in the U.S. could be very interesting because all of a sudden you'll be sitting in an area where both your neighbors have legalized recreationally. Already nine of your states today have, and probably the number increases over the next 12 months uh, recreationally. And then the, we could see, um, you know, a federal legalization in the United States, or at least a, a federal acknowledgement that the states can do whatever they want on that right. front. So we live in an interesting world where, uh, you know, organizations involved in specific, one specific industry decide to start hedging out some of their bets by diversifying into competitive industries. You know, a little bit like how LCBO is just going to distribute marijuana, a little bit like when you look at uh, um, the car uh, market, how a lot of the traditional gas stations are going to start setting up uh, charging stations for electric vehicles uh, as well. Do you see, uh, and obviously um, Constellation has had a great uh, experience with uh, owning a piece of Canopy. Do you see that becoming a trend? Do you see some of the uh, alcohol companies as well as and or I guess the tobacco companies starting to buy up positions in some of these cannabis companies? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually surprised that we haven't seen more of it. And, you know, there's been a lot of speculation in the media that we're about to see some more, especially with legalization in Canada being just a ha- less than a handful of months uh, away. I think it's, it's, it's a total natural thing thing to do. I mean, the um, the alcohol companies in particular, you know, they have a lot of capital, they have a lot of brands, they have a lot of expertise in branding and customer segmenting and you know and reaching out to customers uh, and for them i think it's both a defensive maneuver and an offensive maneuver right we've seen statistics in in states that have legalized cannabis uh, recreationally like colorado where you know beer sales are down spirit sales are down and uh, you got to wonder if you know if beer sales are down 5 or 6% in these states well what's that worth to budweiser right so it you know i think we'll see a lot more of these tie ups um, and uh, both as a defensive move to, to defend their own business, uh, and then as again as an offensive move to be part of this massive growth that's ahead. I mean, internationally, we're going to have a whole bunch of new brands, and uh, you know who's going to be the Corona or the Heineken of cannabis, and uh, you know companies are going to want a piece of that. Great. Well, why don't we close off uh, with some of your predictions? Maybe two or three predictions for the cannabis industry over the next few years. Sure. I, I think, again, I think branding is going to be the, the biggest part, right? It's uh, how, how are companies going to properly brand themselves? And, again, I think uh, the way we see the world is there's two types of branding, right? There's there's the actual retail store branding where, you know, you walk into a Whole Foods or a Starbucks and you know the kind of ex- experience you're going to be getting walking into the store. And there's also the actual product brands, right, where, you, where the actual products you like and, um, you know, what type of experience do you get with the consistency, no matter if you're getting a, a Big Mac in, you know, the United States or in Europe, you get the same Big Mac. 
Um, so I think the you know the most important thing in this industry is going to be setting up these brands, both on the retail level and on the uh, on the uh, product side. So I think that you know, when looking forward two or three years, the companies that can really nail down those two parts will be the long-term winners. Of, of this industry. So it's, uh, it's definitely a focus for us. And uh, I think that's going to be, you know, the main determinant of, you know, who are going to be the winners and who are going to be the also rands in the sector when we look a few years, uh, a few years out. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Vaughn. And uh, congratulations and good luck with MedMen. And I uh, look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you so much. Take care. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at EvolveETFs.com.